old knees don't fold as uh as well as the young ones did, Smith. As they once did. Just uh, doesn't work as well as you want it to. True. True. All right. We doing this thing? Let's do it. You're listening to Baltimoreans, home of the all-weather fan. I'm Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Talk about stupid Baltimoreans. How y'all doing out there in <laughs> Baltimoreans land? Yeah. Um. That's kind of what we want to uh, talk about today is how, how should we be feeling as though that was ever a question that we weren't asking on this fine program. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird year <laughs> and I think we're all well aware of that. I think none of us are under any delusions about it. But the question is how should we, re- we be responding to the kind of daily – barrage of unfamiliar decisions, seemingly a baseballic, as we have known it previously, choices that are being made. Not by to the, mention unfamiliar players <laughs> well, who don't seem to have ever played baseball before. Are you telling me that you, Alan Smith, who I know to be a baseball nerd of the first order, mm. you have not been faithfully tracking the career of Renato Nunez <laughs> for uh, all of your born baseball days? So we'll get into, I think, a little bit later, um, some of the uh, more unfortunate records that, um, say, one Christopher Davis has... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> ...managed to, uh, to put up over the last couple of months um, or weeks. But the, there, is a, there is an Orioles baseball uh, pitcher that for a while had the most efficient season in baseball history? Surely you jest. <laughs> no, he didn't pitch very much. <laughs> he wasn't over very many inning counts, but uh, uh, let me see if I can find this gentleman's name here. <laughs> he had a big old asterisk next to it, but... Yeah, Richard Bleer by one measurement. Ah, <laughs> wire-to-wire Blyer? Is the best statistical pitcher to ever tow the Major League rubber. <laughs> Granted, it's a slightly arbitrary measurement, but uh, of any pitcher with 101 big league innings, his um, 242 ERA plus was the best. Well, now I don't technically know what ERA plus is. <laughs> <laughs> I recently. Nor could I calculate it off of the back of a box of cornflakes, but. <laughs> No, I recently figured this out. Okay. It means it's like the percentage by which your ERA is superior to the league average. So if if your ERA plus is 242, oh. that means you his earned run average was 24.2% better than the league average. Well, um your boy your boy Rich <laughs> put up the best one of those ever. I know this isn't the nickname episode. And Breaking news from Baltimoreans <laughs> land. Alan and I have begun preliminary discussions about possibly calendaring a nickname episode. Yeah. So hold on to your butts. My entry, by the way, for um, Richard, is it Blyer? It is Blyer. For Mr. Blyer is going to be just the asterisk symbol. <laughs> <laughs> for the aforementioned reason. That's great. Um, I was going to say I'd like to withdraw 
wire to wire blyer. I just set it off the top of my head and it doesn't really work because it's you specifically pointed out that it's a small sample size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he doesn't seem to pitch all that often or <laughs> I'm not even sure he's technically still with the organization. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I think he may have been Life comes at you fast. decommissioned. <laughs> um Radio Flyer Buyer. Nope. Radio Flyer Blyer. Yeah, better. Better. As you can tell, friends, we're a little out of practice. <laughs> um, I think that might be that might be a better option when the time comes. What do you all think, Baltimoreans, so far of this uh, low production value version of podcasting where we don't take out any of the gaps? <laughs> I'll say this. I hope you like it mm-hmm. because it's our only viable pathway to releasing episodes. <laughs> Uh, according to his Wikipedia page, uh, Mr. Blyer is still technically part of the Baltimore Orioles Major League Baseball team. Grand. Grand. Yep. Oh, you know yep. who I was thinking of? Hmm. Donnie Hart. Oh, yeah. He gone. <laughs> I don't believe he set any um, records of note during his <laughs> all-too-brief tenure. Well, let's, let's, let's get into uh, this other record of note. Ah, okay. Well, I was hoping we could avoid this particular topic, but let's do it. How should I feel, Sam Dingman? How should I feel about our $161 million man um, going over his last 49 at-bats? Dating back, I believe, to September of 2018? Well, my first feeling about it stems from the fact that, in a way, this record is kind of similar to Ichiro's supposed all-time hits record hot take (laughs) which is that you can't just because you want a record to be of notable you want an achievement to be notable you can't just jerry-rig together two unrelated things so in the case of ichiro you can't just add the hits he got in japan to the hits he got in the major leagues because those are different leagues Mm -hmm. similarly with christopher lynn davis while it would be good if he got a hit at some point this season, <laughs> I will admit. You can't just add the at-bats from last season to this season and call that a consecutive at-bat streak because it's two different seasons. Yeah. It's not the same thing. I take strong issue with this. And to me, it, I'm being a little bit facetious, but also it's people looking for a storyline because it confirms a thing that they want to be able to say, which is this contract was a waste of money. And We already know this contract was a waste of money. I believe we're on record on this program as saying it was a waste of money from the moment that it was signed. Mm. It's entirely possible that we're on record on this podcast (laughs) saying it was a great idea. I I didn't go back and do that research. I think actually if you do check the historical record, where we came down on it was both and. (laughs) That it was a waste of money, but that given that the Adam Jones contract and the Manny Machado contract and other big deals were coming up – It was a good sign that the Orioles were willing to spend, spend, spend to keep together a promising core. This does sound familiar and now I'm very depressed. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't – it didn't quite play out that way. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's why you have archives. (laughs) Yeah. But but so this is the thing. I think – I just burped and I apologize. I just had a naked juice blue machine (laughs) because I'm trying to keep my nutrients up. So – this is people looking for a storyline to latch onto because it helps us um, – it, it gives us like some kind of concrete narrative to build around the fact that Chris Davis right now appears to be a lost cause, a sunk cost, a, a, 
a blemish on American history. <laughs> Adrift in a sea of sadness. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. But it actually, I think, is it, – it's a really interesting case study in um, what's happening on the team this season. Yes. Because the other thing that I wanted to talk about today is the nature of progress, Smith. Um, I, just to go with a – uh, kind of typically Baltimoreans, small bore, easy to get your head around uh, discussion topic. Yes, good, good. Um, and the thing that I think is really fascinating about what we're watching happening with the 2019 Baltimore Orioles, right, is that they are doing something that America is considering doing in 2020, which is to say, burn the whole fucker down and start over from scratch. You and could argue also what America did do in 2016. You could. Like in a very real and I think uh, direct exit poll sort of a way. Like that's what people expressed in their exit polls in 2016. I feel a rabbit hole coming on <laughs> and I'm not going to back away from it. Great. Here's, Great. here's what I want to say about that. Let's do it. I think that's a fascinating point because – you could argue in a voter's mind mm-hmm. that that's what happened in 2016 in a, because I think that's the branding that Donald Trump ran on. Right. But you could argue in, you know, a kind of um, historical anti-capitalist way um, what happened in 2016 was actually the apotheosis yes. of everything that preceded 2016. True, true. And so – Right. They, they – they, they voted for an outsider who would drain the swamp. They got a swamp monster. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> a horrifying swamp monster. How how many minutes in are we? <laughs> Ten twenty-five. For first aggressive slur of our sitting president. <laughs> uh, so hmm. um hmm. So when you look at the the 2020 elections, yes, okay, um, I feel like you know an interesting thing that's happening amongst the um, at last check 942 candidates who are running <laughs> for the Democratic nomination, approximately number of um, current outfielders that the Orioles are trying to decide to replace <laughs> Adam Jones. So. They're all – all of these Democrats um, or in some cases independents who caucus with Democrats are – Sometimes just straight independents. Hello, Howard Schultz. Goodbye, Howard Schultz. <laughs> please. That's not a sentence. Um, I, <laughs> goodbye, please. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a pretty good update for uh, – who's, who's, who's home run call is it? Who says goodbye to the to the? Oh, Gary, oh, wave it bye bye. Well, Joe Angel used to say wave it bye bye. Uh-huh. Gary says goodbye home run. Yeah, but goodbye, please. If it was like a warning track one, yeah. and he's not sure, he, <laughs> he could say just, goodbye please. Yeah, I like it. I Which like is it. a thing Gary might do because he's not always paying super close attention. <laughs> goodbye please. Because of the booze. <laughs> sure. Um, so you've got all these nine hundred and forty-two candidates. Great, and they're all in their own way trying to convince us that their approach is going to either reshape American democracy into its true form, um, your, your Bernie Sanderses, let's say, or are going to um, 
replace it in the previous mold that it existed in prior to 2016. You're Joe Biden's. You're Joe Biden's. Um, and the reason this is connected to the Orioles, because it is, I swear, mm-hmm. is that the Orioles for the years from, let's say, 2000, end of late 2010 through 2018, took a decidedly Biden-esque approach to team construction. Uh-huh. And we realized some short-term benefits from that approach. We had three playoff berths. Um, we had uh, an, a lot of one-run games that went our way. We had um, a lot of stranded runners. Um, we had a lot of things that, that worked well because we um, just kind of gambled on an old strategy with a new face slash faces. And this is no shade to Buck Showalter and, and Dan Duquette, who I know were on record as praising in possibly religious terms. But what happened this offseason is we took the Bernie Sanders route. Yeah, we burnt, we burnt it all the way down. All the way to Cinders, yeah. Smith. Except for the Chris Davis contract. Except, well, that's true. Yes. And the sweet swing of Mr. Trey Mancini. <laughs> um. And what I have been really excited about so far this year is the commitment to that, warts and all. So coming at, uh, Brandon Hyde coming to take David Hess out of the game, even though he was in the midst of pitching a no-hitter. Because this is not a year for individual at- achievement. This is a year for holistic growth of the entire organization. And so far, it's early. Every single decision that has been made from front office staff to on-field personnel to players to player usage, everything has seemed like it's, pardon me, naked juice, finally coalescing around a real vision. And what's exciting to me – sorry, I'll land this plane. I I really – I swear. (laughs) What's exciting to me about that process in baseball – is that and I'm not saying this by the way because I think Orioles fans are by and large rejecting the policy. I think you wouldn't know it from so the number far, of we're, we're trusting the process. We're trusting the process. There's not a lot of people showing up at the games. Well, that's, but, I mean, that's part of the process. But that's part of the process. Like a lot of smart fans in Philadelphia for those years when the 76ers were extraordinarily bad and just sort of um, stockpiling first round draft picks mm-hmm. to to get who would become. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, people didn't necessarily go to the games, but if you asked a 76, most 76ers fans, our dear our dear friend Charles Hoppus among them, uh, that what they thought of the whole thing, they would say, well, it sucks right now, but we're going to be good, so we're down. Yeah, exactly. At least there's a goddamn plan. Yeah. And we have seen this plan work in the case of the Astros, which is where we got most of our current front office from. Um, Right. But it's not just the Astros. We've seen it work in Milwaukee. We've seen it work in other places. Um, But what's cool to me about baseball fans is there is a willingness, I think, by and large, to to trust the process and Mm -hmm. to say when when a system is not working as intended, we will take a step back. We will allow for there to be some bumps in the road. We the 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 main ship will continue sailing, but there's going to be some fallow years before we're back to abundance. Well, what's interesting about that though is 
your comparative faith that this is the new correct process? Because I think that for many years there in the dark ages of our youth, when the Orioles were really bad and were under 500 for, what was it, 14 consecutive seasons, I would go back and check, but I would imagine that every year they told us there was a plan. <laughs> oh, they told us there was a direction. Yes. And they told us that, you know, that, 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 that this wandering in the wilderness would not be for vain. Um, for whatever reason, perhaps because of the three winning seasons and the playoffs and all those sorts of things, I feel more inclined to believe them now. I feel like um, when you do an intentional teardown like they did over the last season and get back as many assets as we did over that period of time, that it does at least feel like there's a good direction here. Um, but I think that I think that the only thing now that I am worried about is whether or not this process that we have seen other teams go through is something that was an inefficiency then, but the rest of the world has figured out now. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, does it keep, is it, is it actually a special sauce that keeps working or is this something that like worked because people, ha- other people hadn't discovered it yet? Well, I think a key difference between, I mean, this, this is a very interesting point. Um, I think a key difference between, what um, was happening in the past when we were told there was a plan and what is happening now is that in the past when we were told there was a plan, I think we could we could smell the fact that the plan was not being executed in good faith because what was being done was so out of sync with what we saw other teams doing, which for many years during that period we were talking about was signing free agents to ginormous contracts. That's interesting. With the exception of, you know, a, a few people over the years, Chris Davis, that is something that we have always been disinclined to do. Um, and so the plan, we have been told there is a plan, but it has been very obvious that we're not willing to jump in and take the big risks that the other teams are taking. Mm-hmm. This time around, we have actually done that. Right. We have actually taken the giant risk of being bad for a little while, not having a lot of people come out to the ballpark, um, letting some very beloved franchise players leave, even though it probably would have been cheap to keep them, um, which is the thing that these other organizations have done in the name of becoming good again over the long term. You can't tell me. You cannot tell me. That $7 million for Adam Jones would have slowed down people's developments in the outfield that much. Oh, listen, I think we could have had Nick, <laughs> Adam Jones and Nick Markakis back for probably $10 million total. total. Nick Markakis, five hits the other night. Goodness. My man's going to get 3000 That's going to so happen. Cool. That's so cool. Um, so, I think there is, so I think that is a difference – between the the quote-unquote plans of old and what seems to be the actual plan now. I also think that in the past, the people who were running the team, we had a little bit of a loyalism or a a loyalist kind of problem 
um, when it came to staffing, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, every once in a while I would make a big change, like bringing in Buck Showalter. Right. But then if Buck had somebody working with him who wasn't really serving the organization very well, we were just a little slow to part with them. Or th- it didn't seem like there was any pressure from upstairs to um, to have these decisions be a little bit more impactful or be less than a kind of incremental change. Um and not to speak ill of the departed, but, you know, when Mike Flanagan was in charge of things, I felt at the time and continue to feel Mike Flanagan, wonderful man. But that was a little bit of a half measure. Right. Um, when I think there, it's, it's likely that there were other – a little bit more cutting-edge thinkers available at that time. And for a long time when we had managerial vacancies, there was a lot of like, well, what about good old Rick Dempsey? And like what sure. – you know. Um, and – I mean, what's that? Who was the manager before Showalter? Uh, Dave Tremblay. I mean, why did Dave Tremblay get to sit in the manager's seat on the bench for any games? Well, because he'd been a good soldier at AAA. Right. And now I'm aware, as we're saying all of this, that Brandon Hyde was a good soldier as a Joe Madden bench coach. But Joe Madden, uh, being a disciple of Joe Madden is very different than putting in a lot of good years at AAA. It's interesting though, like there's an, there's all, there's always an interesting question to me about what, um, what you want to watch and what you want to follow as a sports team. Um, if these are the things that one has to do to become AL East Astros in seven years, then Absolutely, you do them. But there was something, there is something about, so uh, University of Virginia men's basketball team, national champions, uh, very exciting, Have, having grown up rooting for them and watching them be fairly bad for my entire childhood. Um, 1984, they were good, and then they weren't really good again until Tony Bennett arrived, and he's been there for nine or ten years, but he finally got over the hump. Smoke gets in your eyes. Very exciting. Made significantly sweeter to me by the fact that uh, there was a long-term theory that Tony Bennett's shit didn't work in the playoffs. There was a long-term theory that his sort of like do things the right way, defense first, he only recruited people who were good people. He didn't go for the, like, guy who could jump out of the gym but had a bunch of problems. You know, he, he – he, people who go to UVA go there for four years and they mostly graduate and they mostly graduate with good numbers. Like, there's this certain, like, loyalty do things the right way-ness that – oh, also, I should say, UVA managed to be the first number one seed of all time to lose to a number 16 seed last year crushing defeat all of this makes this year's run all the all the better all the sweeter (laughs) i don't know how much i actually believe this and i don't know whether like actually winning will make all of this go away but there is a certain amount of like i want to root for teams that i want to root for and I've just been struggling early on and I think that many people who go through this process have talked about struggling with 
is the fact that like I was joking about it before. I don't know who any of these guys are. <laughs> I got no relationship with them. Yeah. I you know, we talk all the time about how baseball is about relationships. It's about like watching people grow and change over time. And yeah, I I will probably develop some relationship with a few of these dudes, but I don't think very many of them are going to be around for very long. I don't think any of these people are going to stick. I think the chief value we have on our team right now is actually Chris Davis's contract because it's pretty much going to guarantee we get a number one overall pick next year. Like, that's a weird thing to tune in to root for. It's, it's hard for me to develop a relationship with this team because, like, I don't know these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But... I mean, I guess... People talk about, like, rooting for Duke. I'm staying on the college basketball thing. Like, I'm sure being a Duke fan, I don't think there are any of those, really. (laughs) Honestly, in my deep heart of hearts, I think that there are are fans and then there are Duke people and there's not really an overlap. But people talk about rooting for Duke. There's a Trump comparison in there somewhere. (laughs) I can't totally clock it, but it's in there. People who root for Duke talk about the fact that this year... It was an all-freshman team. They were incredibly exciting. Everybody knew that all of them were going to go be NBA players next year. The only reason that they were there at Duke at all was because of this stupid rule that says they can't go to the NBA directly out of high school. So they put together this, like, one-year all-star team, and they were incredibly athletic, and they were really bad as a team. And they won a ton of games because they were really athletic. They beat UVA twice. Uh, They were a very, like, like impressive often overwhelming team i can't imagine they were fun to watch i can't imagine they were fun to watch you didn't know who any of these people were like you didn't have any relationship with them they didn't have any relationship with duke there was no way any of them were staying for more than a year so they weren't going to form a relationship with duke i don't get how that is a fun sports experience well you're describing i think what i infer from Twitter, which is a notoriously stupid thing to do, um, (laughs) is the experience that a lot of Yankee fans are having right now with the quote-unquote baby bombers, which is a somewhat somewhat similar hodgepodge of very talented young players, but who are basically all playing under a manager who I think it's fair to say has seemed overmatched strategically a lot of times, but there's so much raw power and talent in this lineup that the Yankees are able to like stumble their way into a lot of wins. Um, a hundred of them last year. And that doesn't happen by accident. I'm not, I don't want to come across as too much of a Yankee basher here, but at least a lot of those Yankee guys came up. I mean, like one of the things that's crazy about those Yankee guys is a lot of them came up through the Yankee system. It's true, but I think it's hard to, well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them came up through the Yankee system, but then there are, your your Giancarlo Stanton's. Your yeah, the Baby Bombers is like Judge and uh, Torres, Torres and Sanchez and that's the true. corpse of Greg Bird, <laughs> best friend of Kevin Gosman. <laughs> that's weird. That is weird. Uh, okay, you're you're right. That's a, I, I'll I'll withdraw I'll withdraw well, a no, portion I mean, of the comparison. I, I think I think I think that one theory here of like it just. Settle down, Smith. It takes some time to get to know your guys is fair. (laughs) Like, I think that that's fair. And, and like, that's part of the fun of investing in a new team every year is, like, getting to know them. I I think that one of the weird parts about the process that we're all embarking on here is that pretty much everybody 
from the bottom to the top, because they're all new, there's no clear, and because most of them are not top prospects in any definition of that phrase right now, there's a general consensus that, like, best case scenario, you guys are playing to be the bench player on the Orioles in four years, right? Like, like I don't, I don't think any of the guys who are currently on the roster are going to be the Altuve's or the Carreras or the um, uh, what's the outfielder's name? Um, Bregman. Yeah, the, you know the, the 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 guys who actually take the Astros over the top. Right. Sure. 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 So George Springer, the Springer. Thank you. Yeah. So what I'm left with here is like. Why should I get to know you <laughs> if well, you're going to be gone in six months? I mean, I guess the way I've been thinking about it is it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it it's kind of like if you're a if you're a Dylan fan, and if you're or uh, Dylan's a bad example because there's not really any bad Bob Dylan music. Um, but what a Weezer fan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't know Weezer well enough to make this comparison, but I think you see where I'm going. Like if you're a fan of a band, a lot of times you, you're interested in the band when a Radiohead fan would be a good example. I think. Okay. Computer. The bends. Um, kid a. Maybe and let's put in rainbows in there too. I'm we're gonna get hate mail about this, um, <laughs> but let, let's just say for example that those are the like bangers. Those are the ones. Those are the right. championship roster. Right. Radiohead albums. There's basically nothing wrong with them from top to bottom. It's when everything gelled and it's when everything totally came together and they were uh, playing at their at the peak of their abilities. But when your amnesiacs or your hail to the thieves come out. I feel like I still get a lot out of listening to those records, even though I know that there, I mean, I guess the, the, this comparison is not totally working, but like there are some songs on there that every time I hear them, I'm like, Oh, this is a Radiohead song. I, I always forget that this song exists or these three songs in a row exist. But, it makes it sweet. I'm, I'm invested in the the larger story of Radiohead, and so it makes it sweeter for me when In Rainbows comes out because I listened to Hail to the Thief and you know thought about oh there's a little bit of potential there but they didn't go where they might have gone hmm. it didn't happen um, and you know that the next great album is coming at some point um, and so I think it, it's interesting to think you know we have talked a lot about. Why it's frustrating to think about being a fan of a baseball team because it's kind of like being a fan of a corporation. Like um, it makes much more sense to be a fan of players. Um, but if you if you if you impose that musical layer on it, I don't know. I I think it. Um, I I think it just it, it allows for a way of looking at a season like this as it's like a B side. It's not something that is ever really going to get played on the radio. Um, but it, the next great Orioles team 
couldn't have happened without this one. And so when I have been watching the games so far this season, mm-hmm. I have been looking for those little moments of harmony um, or that that quick second when the team really locks into a groove with each other that I feel like will become hallmarks of whatever the next great mm-hmm. team is. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And you, and you, so you, you think that the Orioles is more like the ship of Theseus, where even if you replace all the parts, <laughs> the ship still remains the same. Oh well, that mm, because hmm. I, I, my, my, my feeling is like I'm not sure. I think that <laughs> like if if I root if I if I agree that. I am a fan of, uh, let's say, let's say I had been um, brought up poorly and um, beaten as a child and chose to become a fan of Manchester City. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then... Not sure I totally follow, but keep going. (laughs) And then... Had that team be purchased by, you know, got to love the team that was sort of scrappy and blue collar and never as good as their across town rivals, Manchester United. Like basically think about Man City as like the Mets to Manchester's Yankees. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. Manchester United's Yankees for many, many years. And then a oil baron uh, comes and purchases the team. And now Manchester City has the biggest payroll of anybody in the English Premier League and they pay um, – I think they have like three English players and everybody else is – Did this really happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. So man, now Manchester City is one of the best teams in the world every year and they have the best manager in the world and they pay – like they pay stupid amounts of money to get the best players from all over the world. Now, do I still root? For the same team, like the jersey colors are still the same. They still play in the same place, although it's gotten a serious overhaul. Like I, I kind of feel like the DNA of that team has like fundamentally changed. And But could it come back? Yeah. To go back to the music analogy, let's talk about the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they lost John Frusciante. Sure. And then they had, you know, Dave Navarro was there for a second and they had other people. And then they did California. John Frusciante came back. They did Californication. And all of a sudden it was like, oh. Oh, this, this is good. It's as good. And, but it's, it's good in the same way it used to be. Sure. Except with, you know, the benefits of, of time. And, and I don't think Adam Jones and Machado are coming back, though. Well, I guess the <laughs> metaphor definitely falls apart there. I think, <laughs> I think that ship of Theseus has sailed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's interesting. I mean, I guess that way of thinking about it is less like you wouldn't say I'm an Orioles fan. You would say, oh, I'm a – Well, I would say I'm an Orioles fan, but I think that that suggests a certain thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like another actually interesting example for us to kind of mull on here is the like both the Cubs and the Red Sox finally becoming winning teams. Like mm-hmm. some people, most people have been incredibly excited about that. Some people have felt like, well, this isn't 
the team that I used to know. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think we're, you know, it, we're going the opposite direction here, obviously. Right. But, but like, what happens, what happens when the DNA of a team changes and you change so many parts of it that, like, like what is the carryover? What besides the logo is the same yeah. about the Orioles team that we loved in 2017? Well, Oriole Chris Park. Chris Davis. Oriole Park. <laughs> True. I think I think but I think that's that's significant. That is significant. I, I think that is significant. Oriole Park matters. I think Gary Thorne matters. That's true. I think uh Jim Hunter as much as we love to deride his broadcast style matters. Um yeah. I, I think there are places that you get consistency from that aren't necessarily the team on the field. But it sounds to me like you're saying there's something about this particular team that ha- is fundamentally altered in a way that is making it hard for you to latch on to. Yeah, and I, and I think I think really what it is is it's just so much change. Mm-hmm. I think that what what is difficult, like if if, if we may may return to the story of the ship of Theseus, <laughs> one of the things that <laughs> always, happens in that Alan, story <laughs> always is that each piece is replaced slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. you replace one mast and then you replace one board on the deck and then you replace this and then you replace this. And so the idea of it being the same comprehensive ship can make more sense because it's always in the water and it's always sailing. This team feels like because we have legitimately changed three quarters of the roster, mm, half the roster, half the roster? I think it might be more. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the roster. I think it's like 80% or yeah. something. It's very, yeah. It, I, I'm And all the managerial staff and all of the front office staff. Like, it's just, it, it's like, it's like a, it, it's to your point. Like, it is a complete overhaul. Yeah. And that is probably, the thing that I am having trouble latching onto is probably the right thing. It's probably a necessary thing. I don't think that we should elect somebody to return us to a pre-2016 version of democracy. That would be a huge mistake. When things go as catastrophically wrong as losing 110 games, how many games we lose? 115. 115. Fuck. 115 (laughs) games. You have what Naomi Klein calls a shock doctrine moment. (laughs) You have a moment of complete... And total disaster that you need to take advantage of. And, you know, whatever else you want to say about George W. Bush, the man took effective use to push through his worldview of crazy people driving planes into the Twin Towers. He took a moment of intense shock and he remade the entire country. Totally. Soup to nuts. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty good argument that Trump is a comprehensive shock to our system. Yes. He may be too much of a shock to our system. I'm not on record as saying I think our system can survive Donald Trump. I'm not, I'm not sure that it can. <laughs> um, and it certainly is Why true. Why am I laughing at that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why did I just laugh? <laughs> it, is, it is certainly true that like kind of anybody who's promising a return to normalcy in any way is probably a good thing. But – you know, it is. It's funny that I'm, you know, getting fired up about this because I am much clearer on this in a political sense than I am in this on this in a sports sense. It's very clear to me that, like, in this moment of shock, we need a whole new system. We need somebody who is running not to return us to what we used to be, 
but to lay out a vision of what we could be. Well, that is a question I've been wanting to ask you as you've been talking about this because I think it's really fascinating. But I'm not sure I'm there with the baseball team. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? How much of your wish for a more recognizable, a more comfortably Orioleic Orioles team is motivated by how dangerous and chaotic our politics seems. Hmm. Like how much how much has your relationship with baseball changed or, or what you're looking for from baseball changed by virtue of what we are confronted with on a daily basis politically and which do you think can can survive shocks more can baseball survive shocks more or because that's a conversation that's happening right now right is like how do we make the game shorter should we have instant replay should we have robot umps i mean i know we already have some amount of instant replay but um like, how do we get more young people to watch? Like, th- these are all things that are happening because there's this sense that baseball can't survive this moment and, and that it can't survive this moment because of things like the shift and, you know, um, all of the various – and the fact that there's openers now and, like, that that means there's no more, like, John Wayne-type characters starting baseball games and pitching seven innings. Like um, – like, which do you think is more – which mythology is more durable? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I think that um, – I guess I think that you and I don't necessarily – like, we've talked about this. I don't think I'm as much a fan of the game of baseball mm-hmm. as you are. And so really what keeps me – connected to the Orioles has always been stories and history. Um, and so it's like, you know, um, Adam Jones becoming the mayor of Baltimore and also someone who, like, said things that I think are politically important made me care so much more when this guy hit a ball 368 yards versus 340 yards than I would otherwise. And I think that those stories are something that just take time to learn. Um, And, you know, being on a nickname episode twice in two seasons means you've been around long enough for me to, like, understand who you are and, like, be able to say something about your name other than it rhymes with another word. (laughs) Are you suggesting... That Hanser Alberto will not be a part of the 2020 nickname episode. I'm rooting for him. In the event. I'm rooting for him. That's not me guaranteeing there will be a 2020 nickname episode. Because <laughs> I can't make that prediction based on our recent track record. I, I would love it. If... Talk about an unreliable <laughs> organization, by the way. Yeah, really. Really. I, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I, I think this is interesting. I think that one of the things that we have lost in our current political dialogue is we don't have any good stories about anybody. Like, I'm not rooting for anybody who is coming up. I got one guy. I got one guy. And he keeps losing statewide elections. (laughs) Tommy P? Tommy P. Uh. Tommy Periello. Everybody else 
who you would like to be able to say, I've been watching him for a while. I grew up with this guy. I've been rooting for him. Like who? Who? No, there's nobody. There's nobody. (laughs) (laughs) I want. Who? Well, my greatest fear is that one of these attacks, one of the many reasons that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the great hope for the future is um, that so far nobody has been able to make the kind of attack on her. She's She's a good example of someone who I think I'm starting to form She's now been in my life for just long enough for me starting to feel like, oh, this is one of my people. I can root for this person. Right. And that hasn't been mucked up. Right. And I think actually it's easier for me to say I want a, almost an entirely new system because I don't have people who I've been with for a long time who I feel rewarded for having been with for a long time. Whereas with baseball, I feel like people who I was with for a long time, even if they weren't perfect, even if they sometimes screwed up, it didn't feel to me like like I was I was overly attached to the 2017 Baltimore Orioles. I continued to root for them even as we were going through a 115 loss season because I had a relationship with them. And for whatever reason, I don't feel that that happens to me with political people. And I think that's probably because we spend so much of our time with political people dwelling on their negatives. Like, this is, this is a major critique of the left in general. I could go through right now and name every single Democratic candidate for president yep. and tell you why I don't like them. Right. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Why, yeah. why, why would I possibly know that? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, why is it that we have done that as our first story of all of these political people yeah. instead of, like... It's 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 almost like trying to develop a relationship with your team, the Baltimore Orioles, entirely through Red Sox Twitter. <laughs> like what a brain. Why would you do that? <laughs> terrible way to use your time. Why? I, I I immediately hate all of you. I don't have any like what. <laughs> Apparently, everybody on this team are villains and 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 ne'er do wells or never were's and never will be's. Like, uh-huh. like what what am I like? Why would I start my relationship with anybody through the lens of their worst day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, but it seems ridiculous when I say it in that way. Yeah, that is instead essentially how we consume media. Like we just had this experience where like I was like. Hey, this Mayor Pete guy, kind of interesting. And I said that to like three people, and all three of you, you and two other of my friends, <laughs> sent, sent me like crushing articles immediately about how Pete was a fraud. How and, do like, you like <laughs> that, Smith? <laughs> like, you Pollyanna dope? <laughs> yeah, and it was like, A, thank you. I now feel more educated, and I no longer believe that he would be the best candidate in the Democratic Party from, for, for president. <laughs> also, dang, that was quick. <laughs> Like, life comes at you fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the moral of all of that, I think, if there is one, and I'm not sure that there is one, <laughs> is that it seems to me actually sort of clear that um, because of the ways that I consume 
baseball versus po- – sports in general actually versus politics is that I'm coming in absorbing a different set of information. I'm coming in with these people who are already on my team and therefore who I feel connected to kind of arbitrarily and stupidly um, because they wear the laundry that I like um, and then building up a relationship with them versus it's very easy for me to say tear down the entire sp- democratic process because I'm not in the bureaucracy. I'm not seeing the amazing people who are doing amazing things to keep the EPA running. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing like it's very easy to be anti-institutional when yep. you're not part of the institution. Absolutely. And and I will absolutely cop to, you know, I'm very excited by the candidacy of Bernie Sanders and one of the yeah. things that I'm excited about um, is the idea of Medicare for all and the elimination of private health insurance. Right. But I haven't spent any time thinking about what it would be like to be somebody who relies on private insurance, hasn't ever considered getting my insurance a different way, and what it would mean to lose that. And, and what I happen to think there are ways of solving those problems, but it, it's, it's very easy for me to get starry-eyed about the the possibilities that Medicare for all represents um, without getting into those details in a similar way. Sure, sure, sure. Um, And I guess it's interesting to me to, to, to think about the fact that I, I, I think the reason that I'm have this stuff on my brain is because in 2016, I was not a Bernie Sanders supporter. I was That's true, you weren't. very very staunchly pro Hillary and that's not to say that I didn't like things that Bernie Sanders was saying, but I was scared that he couldn't win and I felt like it was imperative that we win and I thought, you know what? I don't really agree uh, with Hillary Clinton on a lot of the things that she's saying, or rather, I agree with Bernie Sanders more, but it's a better look for us to get behind Hillary Clinton. And so uh, I'll just kind of temper my belief in a better union <laughs> because this this feels like the safer choice and it doesn't make me ask myself uncomfortable questions. And this time around, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that – I feel like I personally learned a big lesson about my own tendency to do that huh. from the 2016 election. And that's why this time I feel like I'm in the tank for the people who have the biggest ideas that I can say yes to and who aren't just saying, don't you hate Donald Trump also? Right. Of course I do. Um, but I think the thing that's interesting is – and the reason – so the – connection to the Orioles for me is it's such an interesting laboratory for like, okay, what if one of those people won? What if Bernie Sanders won? What if Elizabeth Warren won? What if they had a chance to really remake this thing in a way that has seemed like anathema for generations, but actually could fix a lot of these very intractable problems that we've just decided can't do anything about that. Like, actually, we can. Actually, we can. Actually, the Orioles don't have to be an organization that denies the existence of on-base percentage. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. We don't, we don't have to have a government who doesn't believe in science or global warming. <laughs> right. 
I want to go back though, Smith, because I feel like I started spouting off about Chris Davis and did not give you a chance to weigh in on it, for which I apologize. Oh, I think that Chris Davis is worth his weight in gold. Like I said, he's going to guarantee us a number one pick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, can you? The logic is not that strange. The you know? the 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 whole guaranteed out <laughs> as a phenomenon in a lineup is supposed to come with an incredible glove. <laughs> like, you have to be just a spectacular shortstop right. to continue to be in the lineup every day. Right. But the reality is, Chris Davis is going to be in the lineup every day. Like, you, you can't sit him. He's worth. He's being paid more than the rest of the team. It's Full true. stop. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Although Hyde... Until Trumbo comes back. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> the 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 idea of Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo holding down the six and seven slots in our rotation. <laughs> Me want fastball. <laughs> Me hit with stick. And like, oh God. Did, remember when they hit three and four and they were just terrifying people? What happened? Where mm. did we all go so wrong? Mm. Mm. Um well Okay, serious question. Obviously, obviously, like it is, um, it is unfortunate for Chris Davis, who seems like a fairly decent human being across the board, that this is happening to him. It's unfortunate that he is now saddled with two really difficult records, the worst, uh, you know, batting average of any player who played for the entire year last year, and then, real or not, this O for his last forty nine streak. It sucks to have your name go down in history as those things. Chris Davis was not as good when he was hitting all those home runs as he looked. The player overall was not that good. Is this player this bad? No. No, I don't think so. And that that's, that's I guess, the other part of this that I think is important for us to remember is the good Chris Davis that we got had already been given up on once. Uh-huh. Let us not forget that we got Chris Davis – for Koji Wahara. <laughs> Is that true? No. Yeah. I don't even know if that... I think that's true. Was it Koji? We got him We got him and Tommy Hunter yeah. for nothing. Yeah. From the, for nothing yeah. from the Rangers. And that was because Chris Davis had never lived up to the potential that people thought he had. And then he gave us, what, um, 2011... 2012. Mm, let's go with 2011, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Uh, he gave us some seasons that yeah. were legitimate, like, yeah, monster seasons. Fourth in the MVP voting? Yeah. So, like, the fact that that happened at all is remarkable. And it also, and he's also not ancient. It's not like he's 36 or 37 years old. So what happened? Well, there's a really interesting article in, I think it's Sports Illustrated this week, that I read last night when I should have been going to sleep. um, Sure. That um, talks about how Chris Davis is very, um, I mean, he's got ADHD. We know that. We've known that for a while. Um, But also that he is a very spiritual person and that he has been operating under the weight of crushing expectations ever since he was a little kid who could hit the ball 500 feet. Sure. And that his dad, you know, he would go three for four in a high school game 
and uh, with three home runs. This might not be the exact anecdote. Uh, and then the fourth at bat, he would strike out and he would go home and his dad would just like scream at him. Like, why didn't you go four for four? Um, so it's not out of the question to me that Chris Davis is just – he's got some mental stuff happening and – that's true before he gets the franchise record contract. That's true before this is all going on in the context of a team that may or may not make the playoffs or now a team that's going through a full rebuild um, where he's like taking up a spot or whatever. What's, yeah, what's, what's difficult about this, I guess, from that perspective is that now like instead of being able to fall into relative anonymity – and hit 250 and strike out more than he probably should. What has happened is he's fallen so far that he's back in the same spotlight that he was in when he was running when he was running fourth in the MVP race. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's so bad in this window that he now has to have sort of like front of ESPN headlines every game. Like, he's not out of the limelight now. <laughs> yeah, but... It but sucks. <laughs> I guess that's where, it, for me, it comes back to this, like... He didn't... It's hard for me to... Bl- it, it's hard for me to blame him for the decision of ESPN to run a story that's like, God, this guy sucks. You know? No, but, like, no. Uh, you, you, you don't blame him, but you feel for him because if, in fact, this is mostly mental... That's not going to make it any better, <laughs> right? That's true. That's true. It it it's only gonna it's only gonna make it worse. I mean, <coughs> I guess the 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 crux of it for me is you, there's a way where you can look at Chris Davis right now as the same as the team writ large. He has been reduced to almost. Well, literally zero in his case, if we're talking about it from a batting average standpoint. <laughs> he has been like – like He did get a hit in spring training, right? Yeah, He must have. He can still do this. He's been cut to the quick. Yes. And what bothers me, I guess, is we as fans know that the team has been reduced to like a shell of its former self and is trying very slowly – to build itself back up again and we're willing to invest in that exercise and be patient and loving about it. But for some reason, we're not willing to do that with Chris Davis. I, there's something emotionally dishonest there for me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but, and it's hard to watch. Trust me. It is hard to watch, but as you said, it's hard to watch the team generally. Emotionally dishonest, but also sort of par for the American course, right? Like we love our, rags to riches to rags stories that's true like we love we love a good mercurial celebrity rise followed by precipitous celebrity fall that's kind of our thing yes that's true that's true um yeah i mean it's i a guess cruel thing <laughs> and it's a it's a horrible thing but it's sort of standard (laughs) it's true and we tend to we tend towards um shaming and castigation of individuals rather than questioning 
and analysis of broken systems. Right. Um, so I think in a way it, it, it makes sense that we have decided or some people have decided to locate a lot of frustration on Chris Davis. Um, but I think there's every reason to think that he can come back from this because it's already happened mm-hmm. in an Orioles uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is also like – it is also a nearly unprecedented um, position to be in. Like it, I, I can't I can't think of another situation where a player is part of and paid for and performing like uh, a, a, a World Series um, – uh, contender, the entire team disappears around him, and because of his contract and dollar amount, he is a untradeable himself, and b kind of unbenchable. So he's going to have the time to try to turn this around. Yeah, and I can't think of another person who did that. And just to add, I I, I would have to check my facts on this. Chris Davis has also decided to try to figure out how to fix this. He could retire. That's true. The Orioles would still have to pay him or he could fake an injury, you know, and as expensive as the contract is, there's insurance on these things. This isn't going to, you know, here's a, here's a a free piece of advice for you, Christopher Davis. Um, What do you think he's making this year after taxes? Call it 18 mil, 18 mil. What if, he takes a salary for himself and Mrs. Chris Davis of one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Very, very reasonable. Puts uh, you in the upper upper tax bracket in the city of Baltimore. What if he gives the rest of it to a series of inner city urban schools? Boom! You immediately change the entire dialogue around this guy. You change the dialogue around the season. He's playing essentially for free. He's acknowledging that he's not living up to the contract that he signed. He's doing something that's great for the community of Baltimore. And he's out from under this cloud of pressure. From your lips <laughs> to Chris Davis's ears. Via God, because that's who he listens to. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, well um, listen, Chris, we love you very much. Good luck. Get well soon. Uh, I think that's probably all the time we have today. Baltimoreans. But um, there's one closing question that I think it's really important to to bring up here, and uh, I'd like to put it to you directly, Mr. Smith. Go for it. Um, what do you call Oriole's player? Because, frankly, he plays several different positions. What do you call a current member of the Orioles roster, Jonathan current VR? Member of <laughs> this is this has taken me for quite the loop. <laughs> What do you call Jonathan VR when he is tending to his lawn? Okay, two thoughts on this. First of all, I'm not ready to give up on Henry Arudia. <laughs> Granted, his last major league at bat was 2015, but I still think there's a chance. And this is the narrative thing that I was talking about previously, uh, about investing in people. Um, and secondly, I have no idea what. <laughs> um, I personally would call him Jonathan VR work. All right. (laughs) 
I have nothing for you on Henry Eurydia. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think we've come up with every single combination of stupid English portmanteaus <laughs> with the sound Eurydia. <laughs> well, friends, uh, we hope you have enjoyed this um, casual broadcast. And hey, uh, we are as serious as Sam and I can be about this nickname episode. So thank you for those of us who, those of you who have already tweeted uh, nickname ideas at be morons. Keep those coming. Um, we will use that pool uh, so that we can be lazy and do less work ourselves. Uh, and also, thank you for watching the games so that I don't have to. Yes, and also, if you guys are okay with this much looser style, um, please let us know because uh, our plan is to try to keep doing this uh, on at least a somewhat semi-regular basis because it allows us to get podcasts out and we miss you. And boy, oh boy, is it a lot less work if you do not do any work. <laughs> Facts! Good night. And good luck. <laughs>